0: Today our theme is communications, communicating with your motorcycle through body English and communicating from your motorcycle with radios. Getting your bike to do what you want it to do can sometimes be difficult, but it doesn't need to be that way. On today's rider skills segment, we're going to talk about how you should handle your motorcycle through waiting the pegs. Should you wait inside or outside, or maybe you don't even have to think about that at all. Stick around for that one. We're also talking about communications, those ubiquitous Bluetooth communicators that we have on our helmets give us so many benefits, cell phone connectivity, music, gps but they have limitations when it comes to adventure riding and that's distance as soon as you spread out to get away from the dust you lose connectivity well we found a cure for this on today's episode i'm jim martin this is adventure rider radio stay with us we got a good one for you Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's MaxBMW.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as the MCM top pick in their recent compressor comparison. www.cyclepump.com I'm Sam Manicum, Nick Sanders, Terry Borden, Sandy Borden, Jack Borden, Graham Field, Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray, David Peterson, Rachel, Ed March, Glenn Hexted. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser, Dave Barr, Michelle Lanphier, Tiffany Coates, Herbert Schwarz, Brett Tatts. Zoe Cannell, Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins, Joe Jeremy Creaker. Simon
1: Thomas, Lisa Thomas,
0: Simon Pavey, Grant Johnson, Robert Witt, Seth Simon, Elizabeth
1: Martin, Carol Deval. and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.
0: Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com the Motobreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. When it comes to maneuvering your adventure bike, are you waiting the inside or outside peg in the turn? Or does it really matter? You may be surprised when we dig into this on today's Rider Skills. Brett, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Glad to be back. Today, we're going to talk about something that's um, probably going to stand on its head for a few people who are listening to it. And that is using our
1: foot pegs to steer. So what does that mean? Well, you know, I've heard this comment from different riders where they talk about using their feet to control and steer their motorcycle. And there's actually some elements of this that are true but I think we're falling very short of what this actually means and, and how we can use this to be a better rider.
0: So generally, when we've talked about weighting the foot pegs, what you imagine is that you're standing up on the pegs. And as you go along the trail, you're pushing on one side or the other your foot pegs and weighting them to swing the bike from one side to the other as you go around maybe some rocks or, or uh, you know, some obstacles that you're coming up on the trail. Very, very mild movements. Where does this change the idea of weighting the foot pegs?
1: Well, the idea of weighting the foot pegs actually has more to do about where your body is, and I've heard riders tell me both that they weight the inside foot peg, so the the direction of the turn, and that that's how they get their bike to turn. I've heard other people say that when they turn to the inside, they weight the, the outside foot peg, which is exactly the opposite. And the reality is, is both are true, because it's. It's not necessarily which one's getting the weight. It's the perspective of the rider where they believe the weight is. It's actually where they're trying to put their body that's occurring. And that weighting of the pegs or that sensation of weighting the pegs is a result of that.
0: Okay, so let's look at the, the two different options that we have. You're saying both are correct. So if we're, let's start with the inside foot peg. Why would we weight the inside
1: foot peg? Okay, so when you th- think about this, again, as we've talked about, Riding and standing uh, in this course is true. If you're sitting as well is we're trying to remain over the the point of contact patch on the bike So where the tires are touching the ground well if the bike is turning to the left We'll just say that so that means our left foot would be the inside as it turns to the left We want the bike to lean underneath us and our body needs to move out to the right Well, if you straighten out the inside leg it naturally pushes you towards the outside of the bike Which is where you're over your contact patch Again, it's actually the shift of the body over the contact patch, which is the objective. That's the one that's going to put you in a better position for maintaining traction, also to be more responsive if the bike has a kind of slip during that turn. But what we're sensing or what that rider is doing is extending that inside leg or straightening it out, giving a sense of weighting the inside peg that pushes them to the outside of the bike.
0: So what you're saying is the person that goes around the corner and weights that inside peg, tilting the bike over and leaning themselves to the outside. In other words, changing the, the weight or, or at least shifting your weight over the center of the contact patch. And the contact patch is the point where the, the tire meets the dirt of the road. So the person that's doing that is, is sort of doing themselves a disservice. Is that what I'm seeing? Like, especially when you get to a more extreme, because you won't be able to keep your foot on that inside
1: peg. And that's exactly where you really start to notice that this weighting the inside peg becomes a detriment and thinking in that regards, thinking about your feet rather than thinking about where your body is on the bike. And if you're doing a very tight turn, either you turn on a road or if you've got a hook on a trail, maybe a, a narrower like a Jeep trail, or even if you've got yourself onto a quad trail or something, if that bike leans over far enough, at some point you're not going to be able to keep your foot on the peg. And it, to a lesser detriment, once it gets to your point, if you keep it on the foot, that means your whole body has to now be pulled to the inside of the, the curb itself because the bike continues to lean and, and you can't seem to let it go any further because you're attached to your, your foot peg. So you have to let your foot come off the peg so you can continue to shift to the outside of the bike to stay over that contact patch. And so certainly that does become a negative. The other thing about waiting is that when you're waiting on the peg – if your foot slips, you have, you have no recovery. If that's really what you're using, rather than locking in with the knee or with the upper body, you're, you're running a risk. And as we know, foot pegs can get packed with mud. They can be slick. If you're not wearing appropriate boots with, with grip that can walk on, or if you have a street boot, slipping off that peg is a, a very realistic capability. And of course, nobody wants to get hurt.
0: Hang on a second. I heard you throw in a knee there. So what I was going to say is, so what the person that's listening may think then is, okay, if I was making the corner, I could weight the outside peg, I could push the handlebars down to lean the bike over, I could make my corner and that would transfer the weight even more effectively over the center of my contact
1: patch area. But now you just threw in the knee. And I did. And here's why. So let's just go to the other side of the bike, if you don't mind for a moment. And we'll talk about people who say, well, I don't wait the inside foot peg. I wait the outside foot peg. Now, what's happening with this particular rider is as that motorcycle, we're going to keep turning to the left so that everybody can track with us. So as that motorcycle leans down to the left and we move away from that lean. And, and to the outside, as we mentioned, I, I can no longer keep my foot on that inside foot peg. What you'll find is that you're now sitting over the top of your outside foot. And that because that's now where the contact patch is lining up with that outside foot peg and the, the contact patches. So that particular rider will be sitting so far out that they can feel all of their weight being supported on that outside foot peg. And that's why those riders believe that they're keeping weight on the outside foot peg, not the inside foot peg but we're still short from doing what's actually correct. And that's where the knee comes in.
0: So what do we do with our our knee and and why do we want to use a knee when we've already got our feet on the pegs?
1: And it has to do with where we position our body. What we want to do is, if you can just imagine as a rider, you're gonna draw a line right down the center of your body. So where your jacket zipper and your pant zippers are, that's that's where you want your body, that's, that's your pointer. And you always want that to be pointed the direction you want to end up going so if you want to make a very hard turn to the left you really want to take that zipper line and point it that direction so if we're making a turn to the left if the rider rotates his shoulders left at some point he kind of feels that that tension down at the at the waist so if he turns his hips and now points his hips towards that turn what he ends up doing is taking that outside knee and driving it into the tank now what that does is that locks him onto the bike with the knee that because he's driving in and he ends up wedging the knee and the foot together so he's not using his muscle to hold himself up on top of the bike. As you know, it, at, at the riding school at PSSOR, we're constantly talking about how to reduce the amount of energy it takes to ride and how to become looser on the bike. And this is one of those where if you rotate your body, your whole body, and of the direction you want to go, you'll end up driving that outside knee into the bike. And then that's where you're locked into the bike.
0: And when you do have your your knee driven into the tank and, and you're turned facing the direction you want to turn, it also frees up your arms, doesn't it? You, you don't tend to be leaning on your arms the same way.
1: When, we're, when our hands are on the handlebars, that's not for taking control of the motorcycle we you know rake and trail are the things that try to keep the bike to keep going straight when it hits that bump and the the wheel deflects left or right it's that engineering that rake and trail that brings it back to center and then of course centrifugal force as well so when our hands are on the handlebars the reason we're touching the bars is for minor input and to maintain control of that clutch that throttle and those brakes when we need them you know so we have all those traction control uh concepts that we've talked about so many times that those are still in play and and whether we have gray zoning on the brake or or very smooth throttle control and if you grip really hard onto the throttle it's hard to have a smooth a smooth input so yeah locking in with the knees means that your hands on those handlebars are very very light and no tension
0: so when do we use one or the other give, give me an example of when you would use the weighting the foot pegs when you're when you're standing up and when are you going to
1: put your knee into it So what I would have riders do is when they go out and and to really consider when you feel like you're waiting the inside peg, what's really going on with your body? Because this concept, this mindset that I'm waiting the inside or waiting the outside is is valid in the fact that they believe that's what they're doing, but it's not quite 100 percent correct in the fact that. The objective is not about weighting the peg. It's about where you have your body in relation to how the bike is leaning. So eliminate this concept that you're weighting the pegs. When you're going through the corner, certainly your the leg to the inside of the turn will be straight or it'll be hooked over the seat if the bike is leaned too far and you can't be on the foot peg. The outer leg will be rotated. Your hips will be rotated to the bike and your knee will be driven in. And if you feel yourself putting some weight on the on your foot because you're sitting over the top of it, Keep in mind, is your knee actually driven into the bike? Because that's the goal you're going for. You don't want your knees flaring out there. And It's not like we're riding trials bikes where they don't touch the the bikes with their knees and they can use their body to balance them. These are 600-pound machines, 500, 400-pound machines. So we really do want to stay in contact and have that control the whole time.
0: Well, what I was looking for when I asked the last question was the, the example like in other words if you're if you're riding down a say a, a, you know a two track or let's say let's just say a, a fire road and you've got a bunch of potholes that you're trying to deke out is that a time when you would just be standing on the pegs and, and leaning from one side to the other to go around those potholes
1: it, it is but rather than thinking about your foot weight think about what you do so as I'm coming up to a pothole if I want the bike to drive left what I want to do is is take my right knee and drive into the bike, and let the bike lean slightly over. When I drive that knee in, what you'll find is that that right leg that you're driving in will get a little bit of a bend, and the other leg will be locked out straight. That's allowing some flex, and that keeps you up on bike. But when you want to go back to the right, you do the same thing. This idea that you push down on the foot peg, what you're really doing is taking the left knee, driving in, and that extends the right leg, and allows the left leg to bend, And then the bike will swerve around the pothole or whatever it is, the other direction. So it's not actually the weight you're putting on the bike. It's the rest of the the way the body moves when you think you're putting weight onto the foot pegs. So certainly allowing this this movement back and forth, it's more about using your knees to drive the bike than it is to actually using the weight at the feet. Again, that's a, a result or a sensation feedback from doing the other things correctly. So I'm not telling people they're wrong. If you say, hey, I weight the inside peg and it works. If it works, it works. There's nothing wrong with that. If they say, oh, I weight the outside peg and that works. Well, that's great. If it works, it works. But what I'm saying is that there's more to it. It's not just the weight on the peg. There's other things that are happening when you're consciously saying, I'm gonna weight this peg. And what I would ask writers to do is back up a little bit in, in your mindset and think about when I do this, what else is happening? Because that's the fine tuning that makes us really great riders. So if we just go through an action, we do the action. But if you understand the cause behind it, now you can polish it, you can fine tune it, you can learn to ride like an expert.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think when you're the same as anything, isn't it? Once you understand the, the sort of the, the physics behind something, no matter what's thrown at you, you can think it through because you understand what's happening to begin with. You didn't just learn a method.
1: Well, and and as an, as a professional trainer, when I teach a class for brand new riders, I mean, brand new, brand new, learn to ride riders, they've never been on a motorcycle. Often the instruction is is fairly simple. We just tell them what to do. This is how you shift. This is how you work your clutch. This is when you sit. This is when you don't. But as soon as you get beyond that stage and you're into you know, our one-on-one classes or intermediate or transitional classes or or the adventure riding classes especially – now, all of a sudden, what, I, what I'm doing is less than just telling a rider, hey, when you come up to this log, uh, shift your weight back and gas it. Well, certainly, that's two components of, uh, of a method to get over an obstacle. But what I really want to do is have them understand what's happening with the bike when we move our weight forward and back. And how does timing make an effect? When I shift back, I'm increasing traction on the back. I lighten up the front. You know, there's different things that are happening and going on. That's what riders want, need. They need to do that if they really want to become expert level riders. They have to understand what's going on.
0: So just to go back to what you're saying here, when we're talking about weighting the foot pegs, we should be thinking more about knee placement than what we're actually doing with the foot pegs.
1: Knee and body. Uh, again, your head, we should be, when we're off road, just to always assume there, there are very few exceptions to the rule. You want your body over the contact patch. You know, you want your your body over where the tires are touching the ground. And so, you know, that rotation of the hips, that using the knee to lock in, that's what allows you to pull your body out during a turn and to stay over that contact patch. If you're going in a straight line and you're swerving around potholes, that bike should be swerving independent underneath you. You shouldn't be with it. And on a high traction, compressed gravel road, certainly you can get away with riding that Uh, Most of the time as if you're riding on the street and riders don't get in a lot of trouble But when it gets really soft all of a sudden it doesn't work so well and when riders slide out in corners They're almost always in a street riding Position And, and that means even if they're standing when the bike is leaning They're leaning to the inside of the curb and that means the bike slides away from them and they're not able to recover when you're to the outside of the bike the bike slides into you and you have time to recover and you can even do drifting and having all kinds of things like that. If you really want to have a good time.
0: So I'm going to go back to something you said there a minute ago. So you said something about, you know, if, if it works for them, for a rider, some method they're using, um, that's fine. Would you say that somebody who, who rides and doesn't use their knee, uh, in turning and sharp turning, and if, if they can do it without it, it doesn't matter. Or would you say that knee is going to help them become a better, more controlled rider?
1: What I'm saying is if what they're doing is working and they're getting away with it, that's fine. But if you can fine tune it by using your knee and recognizing what you're really trying to do is rotate your body to face the direction you're trying to go and using that rotation to drive the knee into the bike. And then and again, part of this that that we need to pay attention to is we're trying to reduce the amount of energy that we're that we're using. So if I turn the bike and I have my weight on the outside peg, but I am not in contact with the motorcycle with the knees, that means all of my weight is being supported with the muscles in my legs. And that's going to make me very fatigued. But if I rotate and I allow that knee to drive into the bike, I'm now wedged between my foot and the knee. That doesn't take any muscle at all. And now I'm able just to crouch and sit, you know, back over the bike and and I can hook in and, and use less energy. So yes, it works, but if all you want to do is ride as good as you already are, then just keep doing what you're already doing. If you want to get better, we have to, we have to look at what we're doing and either fine tune it or in some cases change completely how we're riding.
0: So just to recap the actual method, then we're turning our toe in towards the bike. As we turn, we're putting our knee in against the tank. We've got a a good solid position. We're shifting our weight over the contact patch and making our turn around. I'm talking in particular that left hand tight turn you're talking about.
1: And the only thing I would add to that is take your zipper line and point it the furthest point that you want to go. So if it's 90 degrees, you're really trying to rotate your body close to 90 degrees to make that turn. If it's a U-turn you try to go for more, if it's a weave it might be less. So try to point your zipper where you want to end up going. And that's the only thing I would add to the steps that you mentioned. Otherwise, you're spot on. Of course oh. you always are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, now as far as an exercise, what do you have for us?
1: Well, that's that's exactly the exercise I'm going to I'm going to ask riders to do if they want to play around with this is Uh, Yeah, there's so many elements of this that we can talk about. So I'm going to say just focus on one specific thing at this point. Next time you go out – and you can do this because the same concept is true on public roads as well. So if you're on pavement, we teach a very similar technique for road riding. But try to imagine that 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 zipper line is always pointed – the direction you want to go. So as you're riding, make sure you rotate, the, rotate your body and not just your upper zipper, but the, the zipper on your pants as well. But try to always point that zipper the direction you're going and start doing this by just making small turns down a gravel road and then just make minor rotations, minor turns where your whole body is rotating in that direction and then go in and find uh, areas with tighter turns or into a trail or into a, a large open field area and, you know, you can set a cone or a, or a water bottle down or, or two of them and just make like figure eights. And as you go around the figure eights with those water bottles or cones or, or a jacket or people, whatever you have out there as references, you can make a figure eight and then point that zipper. Try to get the zipper pointed towards the one that's behind you or the next one. And that focus on pointing that zipper line, a lot of the other nuances and details of this technique will sort of fall into place for you.
0: And of course, if you have any questions about this or any of the other things we've talked about or something we haven't talked about on Rider Skills, certainly send it to us. Um, You can just drop by the website and click on the contact button or even through social media. Everything's fine. Well, Brett, that was another great session, and I'm sure it's going to have people out there riding their bikes and trying to become better riders. And of course, that's what it's all about.
1: Well, no, I very much appreciate when riders come to me and come to the school who have heard these podcasts and, and have actually tried to to use these and do them because when they come to me, they have an image of how they're doing it or what they believe they're doing. And it makes it so much easier for me to work with them and to, to hone them and to make them much better riders and and to polish off the things they can't see. Cause obviously when you're doing it, you can't, you think you're doing something it's not always what, what's really happening. But I, I really enjoy when guys are coming in and going, Hey, I heard your talk and I've been practicing this and they go out and do it. And we're able to, to just take them a lot farther than if they hadn't been practicing or trying this stuff on their own.
0: Brett, you know, when we're doing these rider skills here on Adventure Rider Radio, um, I, I just thought maybe we should talk about what we're imagining the person riding. So in other words, you know, I guess it wouldn't be the same if you're riding a, a Honda C90 as it would if you're riding uh, an 1190.
1: That's a really important point to make. The last talk we had was about how to rate yourself as a rider, and there were some assumptions that I threw out there. And these are the same basic assumptions I use every time we talk about riding skill on this show. And my assumption is that these riders are going to be on a large adventure bike and they're going to have some kind of load on board, something equal to maybe a, a weekend camping trip. So not a heavy, heavy bike. So we're talking panniers and some gear and and there's riders on a bigger bike. And that's the perspective I have to come from when I start talking about these rider skills.
0: And when you say large adventure bike, just describe that.
1: For the sake of our conversation, I'm going to assume we're on a 650 to 1200, anything from a KLR 650 up to a, a 1200 Super Tenere or a GS or something of that category. And again, like always, I'm not saying that a 250 isn't an adventure bike or that you can't have some other type of travel. It's just when we're thinking about these specific skills, when we're having these conversations, I'm assuming we're dealing with heavy, large displacement adventure bikes with some kind of a load.
0: And right, and but a lot of this is is crossover as well. I mean, really, what we're talking about is, is there are some nuances in here, I guess, that are going to be different if you're running a small bike as opposed to a large adventure bike. But for the most part, probably uh, most of what we talk about covers it all.
1: And historically, where the techniques that we're teaching came from is, we had developed some techniques in the large bike, you know, training uh, program that we have, the adventure program. When we revised our dirt bike program, it was so effective with these big bikes that we started see, teaching the same techniques for the small bike guys. It, it just worked amazing, especially for endurance racers and things like that. And then we hone those. And so these programs are constantly feeding back and forth on each other. But it works. Whether it's a big bike or a small bike, it absolutely works. But the presumption I'm coming from, the angle I always come from on this show, is that we're talking about large, large displacement, 650 to 1,200 adventure bikes with – with a light load.
0: Well, thank you once again, Brett, until next time.
1: Looking forward to it, always am.
0: was our rider skills for this month for adventure rider radio now we've got some photographs in the show notes that show the knee into the tank that help initiate that turn and, and brett and i talked about this afterwards we thought we should throw out this reminder just remember to initiate the turn think of turning your hips and putting the knee into the tank that's key drop by the website check the show notes for this episode to see those photographs and that was brett tax from PSSOR. We're going to be back in just a minute and talk about Bluetooth communications and how we can extend that range, which is so important for us as adventure riders. But first, I'm going to take a minute to thank a couple of sponsors that have helped make this episode possible for you. And the first is IMS. IMS Products has a complete line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs for your bike and mine Um, but I want to talk about the rally pegs they have now first of all all their pegs are cast certified 17-4 stainless steel certified heat treating built in the USA and really importantly they're guaranteed for life you want a quality peg you want something that's going to last then you buy something like this that's going to have a a lifetime guarantee they've got one of their pegs is called a rally peg and the rally peg has this aggressive tall tooth design and a sort of a a wider overall platform that um, better distributes the rider's weight and lean angle so it it, improves with your overall handling and control of the bike and it's been run on uh, with racers in 450 cc class for the baja uh the Dakar, and right on up to adventure bikes with 1200 cc plus and it always increases comfort and handling and I, I know that like i've been running ims pegs for a while now and brett mentions in this episode about getting mud packed into your pegs and and how it creates problems that's something i haven't had um since i've been running the ims pegs because they're built with what they call is a watershed design which means they've taken the time to actually design the peg so that it has less chance at least of holding mud in because the angles have all been ground to a certain way to allow things to drop away i mean it's little things like that that tell you that you've got a quality product on it but they are really nice pegs if you haven't seen the ims pegs you have got to drop by their website and check it out www.imsproducts.com and look at the pegs they've got and don't forget to tell them you heard them here on adventure rider radio And another one is Moto Bird Adventures. Now, if you're a woman rider or you know a woman rider, you should definitely have a look at this. Moto Bird Adventures is located in California and is motorcycle tours for women by a woman. That woman is Carrie Doherty. Carrie runs Women Only Adventures for both dual sport riders and street riders. Her website is uh, www.motobirdadventures.com. That's motobirdadventures.com. And guess what? Carrie now has loads of dates up for 2018. So it's great. This is a, this is a great time of year. Actually, it's a good, good idea. You could buy this as a gift for someone. There's a thought for you. Most of her trips run from San Francisco with a maximum of seven riders. These are small, intimate groups. This sounds like a, a really nice way to operate. So you can bring your own bike or she can connect you with her preferred rental company if you'd rather rent a bike. And Carrie loves doing these trips. She loves what she does. She's, she's even done her own trip. She did a 10,000-mile a, a adventure crossing 19 states. She went into Mexico, all in her KLR 650. And she told me before that she loves sharing her own special places with the people that she takes out. And I think that's really important because that's where the real magic is in this sort of stuff. Drop by our website and see what MotoBird Adventures has lined up for 2018. If you've got a friend that you think might be interested, pass it along to them. www.motobirdadventures.com. And of course, all the links for all the topics and the advertisers and everything are always in our show notes for every episode. Well, it's pretty common nowadays to see a tiny black box with a blinking light attached to the side of someone's helmet. It's a Bluetooth communicator. Many riders have these headsets on their helmets because it allows you to talk with your cell phone, listen to music or your GPS, as well as connect with riding buddies. And it seems that one of the most common names that we see out there is Senna. Sena is a South Korean company that makes all types of Bluetooth communication products. They have an industrial side that sells device servers and industrial Bluetooth products. But where we recognize them is in motorcycle communications. Sena is one of the biggest players in motorcycle communications. They're involved heavily with the motorcycle community. They continually update an already robust line of products that now even includes an action camera called Prism. Now, if you use a Senna communicator, you probably already appreciate the ease of connectivity between the units, the connectivity with your phone, your GPS, your music, and especially the rider intercom system. The whole system works really well. Uh, Many of them use a jog dial on the outside of the helmet, which uh, makes using the controls with your gloves on extremely easy. Not to mention they have voice command, which means you can give voice commands like Senna turn on the radio, turn off the radio, that sort of thing. And, and that way you keep both hands on the handlebars and it's, it's much safer to operate or even answering the phone for that matter. It's all very well thought out for motorcyclists. Now, when it comes to communicating with other riders, which can be extremely useful, especially for adventure riding, you know, you can tell them obstacles that are coming up, maybe vehicles come in the opposite way, perhaps animals. I mean, the list goes on forever. The comms, the Bluetooth comms are crystal clear and reliable for short distances, However, if you ride with more than a few people, so you get spread out, or you're spreading out because it's dusty, or maybe you're in a hilly area with lots of trees, that's where Bluetooth connectivity begins to fail. You see, Bluetooth is good for maybe a mile, which is about 1.6 kilometers. And I know that Senna has a new unit out now that uh, says that it does two miles or just over three kilometers, but that's in ideal conditions. Once you introduce the hills and the trees, the reliable distance for Bluetooth comms shrinks rapidly. Now, another scenario might be if you're riding with other riders that don't have Bluetooth systems. Maybe they're using FRS radio, maybe they're using CBs, maybe you're you're traveling with somebody in a vehicle that has a CB or a ham radio. There are systems out there that you can buy that are just FRS for your headset. Um, There's other ones that are universal, but changing the systems around means pulling everything out of your helmet and putting in the new system, which is problematic and doesn't doesn't make much sense at all for day-to-day operation of the different things that you're going to be doing it may also mean and most importantly probably that you may sacrifice some connectivity with your cell phone your gps and your music and and in some cases it may require a wire going from your helmet down to your motorcycle which some people may like or dislike so the question is how do we connect things like an FRS radio, a ham radio, a CB or other long range radio with our existing Bluetooth system without giving up all the advantages that these headsets offer us? Well, to solve the problem, we didn't have to search very far. We found a unit that connects via Bluetooth. That means no wires, no wiring, just like your cell phone would connect to the existing unit Bluetooth unit you have in your helmet. And then from that unit, you can connect any two-way radio you want. It even goes further than that by allowing you to add additional audio devices just by plugging them in, like if you want to plug a GPS into it, a radar detector, or maybe even a a non-Bluetooth cell phone. And very importantly... It works in priority with the Senna units, meaning that the audio is handled seamlessly with your music or your cell phone calls. And that's really important when you get into this, because if you have some audio completely cutting off another, that also can be problematic. And all this is in a unit that fits in the palm of your hand. It's water resistant, and it connects to your Bluetooth headset with the press of a button. That's the Senna SR10 Bluetooth two-way radio adapter. So Senna sent us a couple of these units to try out and they worked great. We were able to connect the FRS radios or our ham radios just by plugging them in. And then we left the SR10 in the tank bag, plugged into the two-way radios. And we used their supplied handlebar mounted press to talk button to activate the two-way radio. At the same time, we could take cell phone calls or we could listen to music all without changing any settings or even telling the unit what we were doing or how to handle the calls. So to talk a bit more about the SR10, we spoke with a rep from the Sena U.S.
2: headquarters. My name is Chris Woodyard. I'm from Sena Technologies, and I'm the product specialist.
0: Oh, and by the way, I didn't ask about the pronunciation about Sena or Cena, and what Chris said was, well, officially it's Sena, but it's often referred to as Cena. So I think you can't go wrong either way. Now, this SR10, you guys were good enough to send us a couple of units to try out, which we did. And very easy to connect. It's the same Bluetooth connectivity that you, you do. And it's sort of the same as, as uh, pairing two units, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's, there's a uh, you can pair one simple headset. You just put it in a simple uh, pairing mode. And then the SR10, you also just put it in its own pairing mode. And then you just wait for the two to find each other.
0: Right. So physically, we're we're talking about sort of a a rectangular black box that fits in the palm of your hand. This thing is not big. And it's got some connectors on the outside. and It's got a big button in the middle. Just sort of run us through roughly what what can this thing do?
2: So what it can do is there are two auxiliary ports on the bottom that allows you to plug in uh, an external or additional device, something like if you have a GPS that has a a headphone jack on it. You can plug the GPS into the SR10 and then any, radio, any audio from the GPS can be transmitted through the SR10 and then heard on your headset. So you're allowed two external devices. Uh, also additionally at the bottom is, a, is the connector for using one of the SR10 radio cables. And it is called a uh, Hirose port. And so that's the connector that's used for the cable and we have uh, a variety of cables to support a variety of models of two-way radios. And on the in the, the large button on the device itself is the push-to-talk button. That's what you would be using to hold down and talk into the microphone of the Sena headset and communicate through the two-way radio.
0: Okay. And then there's also another port on the side that's uh, meant to extend your range for the push-to-talk button. In other words, put a remote push-to-talk button on, which you actually include in the package.
2: Correct. Yeah. So that is the handlebar remote, or yeah, excuse me, the handlebar push-to-talk remote. So rather than if you want to trigger the two-way radio, then you can not remove your hands from the handlebars and only use that remote while you have the SR10 and the 2 way radio itself stored in like a tank bag or something like that.
0: And the other side has a USB port. The USB port is for charging and updating the firmware. Correct. So we're we're talking about a tiny unit um, and by the way I mentioned the uh, accessory that comes with it. That's one thing that Sena is really good for. I got to tell you that putting all the accessories in it's it's nice to open the box and find there's a belt clip on this there's also a a handlebar clip there's a push to talk button a remote push to talk button and then there's even an extension cable for the push to talk remote button there's another cable for connecting an audio device i mean this is like a it's a full package you got here
2: right right so we wanted to give uh, everything a rider would need for communication so this thing is quite simple, really. What did you call
0: it? A Hirose connector?
2: Uh, it's a Hirose. It's like a standard a connector standard.
0: Hirose. Okay. So basically what it is, it looks like a sort of a commercial grade almost connector on there, a metal part sticking out where you plug it into those cables. You were mentioning that you can get for specific radios, which makes it really easy because you just plug in, for instance, in the FRS radio, you just plug it directly into the FRS radio and away you go. The nice mm-hmm. thing about this for motorcyclists is you throw this, like you said, in your tank bag. You can plug it into power, so it's powered up all the time, and then you run the push-to-talk wire up to your handlebar, and then you just press on it to talk. Can you talk about how it handles the audio? Like, for instance, let's say I have my phone connected, and maybe I have music on, and then I'm using this to talk on the radio.
2: So if you are listening to, let's say you, are, uh, you have your phone paired to your Cena headset, and the SR10 paired to your SENA headset, then if you are listening to music from your phone, then anytime someone activates the radio or you yourself pushes the push talk button on the device or the handlebar remote, then it will interrupt the music from your phone. So uh, the SR10 determines like, oh, this is this audio from, the SR-10 is more important, so it interrupts the music.
0: So um, when we're using this for, for something else, like, for instance, uh, we wired up a, a ham radio, which is amateur radio as well, in a, a, a separate device, it, it works exactly the same. You, you have um, a cable that's sort of a universal cable that if somebody's into it and understands how to wire things, they can actually wire
2: their own plug-on. So you could basically
0: hook it to any sort of radio if you know how to wire it.
2: Correct, yeah. Since we have multiple cables that for uh, multiple brands, then we have a, a cable that is just bare wires where you can make your own cable to support the radio that you want to use.
0: Now, when you talked about, uh, we were mentioning about listening to music, et cetera, and these two aux ports that are on here, um, you had mentioned to me at one point about um, that I shouldn't play music through the aux port because it's mono.
2: Correct. It's, uh, that's because the Bluetooth profile that the sr 10 uses, it doesn't support stereo audio. So it only supports if you're playing music, then it, any music will come out in uh, mono.
0: So I, w- what are these aux ports for mainly then? Is it, is it mainly GPS?
2: Uh, GPS or even something like a S, uh, yeah, radar detector, because if you want that integrated into your setup, then... The radar detector has an extreme high priority, and since something like that would probably be able to be paired to the headset, you would connect it to the SR10 so that anytime the radar detector goes off, you'd be able to hear it in the headset.
0: Oh, so this is a good way to sort of get everything together in, in, in one unit then,
2: right? So it turn in so in uh, in a sense it would turn one one device. Uh, it would just, it would combine basically three devices into one.
0: Right. And the nice thing with that is you can put all these devices in your tank bag or or wherever you want. Um, you don't have a bunch of wires coming to you and you have that, that freedom of the, the Bluetooth connectivity. Right. While we're talking about Bluetooth, I I wanted to ask you about this. So one thing that becomes very apparent when you connect an FRS radio to this is that the audio sounds really bad in in comparison, and it wouldn't otherwise, but in comparison to the regular Senni unit audio. Like when I talk to the other unit, uh, another rider on another bike that's riding along with me, the sound is is almost studio-like. It's crystal clear. What's the difference between the two?
2: So that's what between is that we use our uh, our communication system is built on Bluetooth, so it is using Bluetooth profiles for communication. So that's why all the audio from, let's say, an SR10 paired to a radio is you'd be hearing it rather than from the radio directly. It would be audio transmitted over Bluetooth from the SR10 to the headset.
0: Right, so what I was looking for mainly was the difference between, um, like, like for instance, if you use an FRS radio and you're, you know, you're walking around doing something outside, it's got a certain tinny, thin sound to it. Whereas the the Bluetooth unit is is digital, isn't it? So you that actually gives right. it a beautiful, clear, crystal
2: clear sound. Correct. Yeah, it would be the audio uh, and the sound would be coming digitally.
0: Are there any methods to sort of have an open channel on your FRS unit, or sorry, on your SENA unit where you could just be open to receive general talk?
2: We actually do have that functionality uh, in one of our products that uh, just came out recently called the 30K, uh, because that uh, headset itself has a feature called Mesh Intercom, where you can put it into what is called public mode. And in that sense is anyone else in, with that 30k and also in public mode can find each other and connect to each other automatically if they are within like let's say someone else is within a one mile diameter around you.
0: Wow, that's a great feature. So that's on the new unit only the the 30k, which is I think that just came out a couple of months ago. Correct. Very nice. Is the, um, the this is going back to the SR10, is it waterproof with the um, with the plugs plugged into it? Because I know the unit is waterproof, but when you plug something in, is it still
2: waterproof? Well, we have the, uh, well, specifically the audio cable, I should say, is it's designed to have like a tight fit. But we always recommend that you can be using it and riding it with it, uh, with it in the rain, but you just don't want to uh, submerge it. Because it's water resistant, but not completely, you know, water sealed and watertight. But it's it's it is designed so that you can be riding it within the rain, you know, for different different weather conditions. Um,
0: the the we talked about uh, music going to the headset, and I just want to go back to that for just one second here. Um, when you're trying to connect to play music to your headset, you don't want to go through the SR10 because, as you said, that that's a it's a mono uh, connector on here. So. All, are all the Sena headsets capable of connecting with more than one device so that you can connect a player and you can connect your your phone and the SR10? Correct.
2: Uh, so the a typical headset it allows you to connect to a phone, uh, an external or secondary device, either like something like a GPS or the SR10, uh, and a, also another additional Bluetooth SeNA headset. How does it figure out priority when you do that? Um, We have a list, uh, um, a a list of like what Bluetooth profiles that are used by each of the devices uh, take priority over which other. So, for instance, like I did mention about listening to music uh, and having the SR10 come in is the on all of our headsets, the Bluetooth streaming music is the lowest priority. And a device such as the SR10 has the highest priority. So, if you're again depending on the device, if you're listening to music, then you can talk over the intercom. And once you talk over the intercom, that will interrupt the music, um, unless you're using a a headset with a feature called audio multitasking, which is on the the 20s, the 20s Evo, and now the the new 30K. Then, if you are talking over the intercom and then a communication from the radio comes in, then the radio will interrupt the intercom.
0: And that was product specialist, Chris Woodyard from Senna. So if you're serious about communications on your bike and you're interested in using an FRS radio or ham radio or CB or something with your Senna unit, then have a look at the Senna SR10 Bluetooth two-way radio adapter Um, we tried it out and tell you it's really quite an impressive unit and simplifies something that would be quite complicated otherwise you can find the units at most retailers i think that stock that sort of thing or you can go to the senna website www.senna.com that's s-e-n-a.com I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Motobreeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. And you know, you can do us a huge favor by dropping our name when you talk to any of these companies. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener, thank you so much for listening. Well, it's time to get out there and ride your bike. I just want to sort of say again about on this uh, episode that we just did, think about that waiting in the pegs thing. Get out there, turn your hips, put your knee into that tank and see what sort of a difference you make. And if you have any questions about that, just send us an email, contact us through social media, do something like that. We'd love to hear your feedback. And that goes with anything you hear on this show. You ever want to contact us, people do all the time through social media and email or our contact sheet, drop by the website. You can click on the contact button And as well. While you're at the website, you can listen to all the shows. Don't forget about our other show. We have another show called ARR Raw, which is once a month roundtable discussions about travel with a whole group of us there. It's a lot of fun, very laid back, and uh, very personal. I think. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. I guess. What? One more thing before you go. If you like what we're doing here, our show is built on a model of advertising and listener support from people like yourself to make the whole thing work. So if you can do it and you'd like to, drop on the website and click on the support button. And we have a bunch of incentives. Anything ten dollars or more. Is is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. And I think $50 or more is going to get you a mention on the show. So think about it. Think about what a cup of coffee costs, what pleasure you get from that. And then if you get some pleasure from the show, maybe you'd like to do something there. I don't want to push. Anyway, thanks very much. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. See you next week.
1: This is Dave Barr, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.